Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm thinking about, uh, I'm going to be putting out who I'm going to vote for on on my social media accounts, just in case you don't know who to vote for, okay? So, and I will get a lot of flack for that, but that's okay. I just just press delete. Anyway, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31. Um, We're on a series. We're almost done. We've got a few more weeks left of 1 Corinthians. I'm excited about these last parts. Paul really sums it up puts it all in perspective and uh, you know first corinthians it was a church that was messed up um they were um, not doing things right and they, they they were ignorant and i don't mean that in a bad way i mean they just didn't know well and they needed to be taught and so he that's what he did that's what paul's letters are they were they were he was responding to things he's heard and responding to questions that they had about his response to things they heard he heard and so he's putting everything back into it so here in first corinthians chapter 12 he's just started talking about the gifts of the spirit he's going to go on in verse 14 but we already covered 14 a couple weeks ago but look here in verse 31 he says but eagerly desire the greater gifts now the greater gifts are the ones that that are, are that communicate that encourage that that bring bring uh, those things that will help people, amen, that people can understand. That's what he's talking about, desire the greater gifts, and now I will show you a more excellent way, okay? So, so he's talked about these gifts. Now he says, I'm going to show you a more excellent way. Now turn over to chapter 13, verse 1. Now let's see what, what is the more excellent way here, okay? He says, if I speak of tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I am nothing. Now here's the context of this whole thing. There's many problems in this church. There's factions. Now remember... This church wasn't like we have today. They, they were just starting. They were, um, they were in houses. Um, most, of, most of the time they met in homes. Now, it's not like your home today. Your homes are mansions. I don't care where you live. Your home is a mansion compared to what they had. Your, uh, their home is like my office without the bathroom. Right? So it's, it's small. And only a few people can come in. And they had many of these home, home churches all around uh, uh, Corinth here and so here that's what Paul's dealing with and now they did come together we see that in in the book of Corinthians they did come together as a whole as one church and worship together but they were there was a lot of different factions some some people were following Apollo some people were following Paul some people were following Peter and 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 so on and some people were following other people that they didn't agree with and so there was a lot of miscommunication and a lot of things in um, understanding of things so here they had different factions. They had uh, sexual sin was rampant in the church. Of course, Corinth was a, a place for that. Uh, huge sexual sin was going on. But it also was in the church also. Lawsuits, they were suing one another without working it out with w- the way the Bible says, right? In, Ma- in Matthew 18. Uh, there were meetings that were harmful. So they were coming together and people were 
you know, fighting in those meetings. There were people that were angry. They were, they, remember, they had factions, but they, uh, they had different viewpoints, and they were angry at each other and stuff like that. That's what was happening. And in fact, the Lord's Supper was a mess. And so here's this church, and Paul here is saying, I'm going to show you a more excellent way. Now, this church had, had all the gifts. They didn't lack any spiritual gifts. But there was something completely wrong. And here Paul is talking about that. Paul had commented on their spiritual gift. Now Paul is seeking to inform them about a more excellent way of operating in them and through them. And that is with love. Love will help them in, in these areas where they're having difficulty with. In fact, true love will help. The love for God and love for others will help every bit of your life. But a lot of times what we do, when we hear these type of uh, messages on love, we say, oh, oh, I know that. But do you really? Do you really know that? Because I'm not saying, oh, you know of it. And you might have the, the, it up here in your mind, but do you have it in here? Is it something that motivates you? Is it something that, that, that checks you? Is it something that holds you back? Is it something that, that governs who you are? Does this love, the love for God and love for others, govern everything you think about, everything you say, everything you do? If it governs you, the love of God and everything, then you do know it. If it doesn't, you've got some issues. And we all have issues. Just turn to your neighbor and says he's talking about you. <laughs> True love will defeat everything in your life. Love God first more than anything. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul's going to continue on this discourse of, of spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 15, which we'll talk about here in a couple of weeks, Paul will seek to remind us what's really important, and that's the gospel. And I'm excited about that. But to understand this text, we have to understand what is love. Love is really kind of hard to define. Now, Paul will take the next verses, 4 through 8, to give us a description of love. Now, here is what it says, verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. I'm going to say that again. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will, will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. What, what continues for eternity? Love. Love continues for eternity. Now, the word here, love, is the word, the Greek word agape. And, and the word is a verb, which signifies that certain action has to be taken for this to be shown. For love to be shown, love to be had, say you have love, there's action going on in our life. The thing called love can only be known by actions that make it known. So when you say, I love you, there's action behind that. So if I say I love you, there should be action behind it, not because of my words, but because I've shown you that love. That's what that means, that there is action. Don't tell me you love me. Show me, right? Right? So that's what love is. That's why Christ loved us first. Now, he didn't tell you he loved you first. He showed you by giving his life 
away before we loved him. That's what love is. I mean, he is the model of this love. But the thing, when I think about this love and the, the Paul's description here, that love is patient, love is kind, doesn't seek its, its own. Um, I, I, you know, I, I like that. I love that. Who wouldn't love this type of love? I mean, we all need to have this in our life. We need to model this in our life. And so, because when we model it, we model God. God is love. He doesn't just do love. God is love. Everything about God is love. Everything that he says, everything that he does is out of love. And that is a perfect love. It's not a love that a lot of times this world knows. And a lot of times this is how we operate. I love you, but do you really love me? It is always seeking something back, but that's not true love. God's love says, I love you, period. I love you. God is love. 1 John 4, 9 says this, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him in this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sin. Beloved, if God so love us, we ought to love one another. So Paul's talking about this. This is love. This is what love is. And perhaps your experience, and when you're reading this out of 1 Corinthians 13 here, love is patient, love is kind, you're, you're like me, is that when I read these words that describe love, I find an, a certain attraction to this. I, I want this. I, I desire to have this in my life fully, right? But I'm also disgusted about it the attraction is really understandable i mean we all want this type of love who wouldn't want this type of love in our life but when i am disgusted because i fell at this love i fell at this love this is one of the most beautiful things when i read these words i think of the one jesus who who lived this though jesus lived this word so i can I can really, you know, paraphrase this in this way. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. Jesus does not insist on his own way. Jesus is not irritable or resentful. Jesus does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but Jesus rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things. Jesus believes all things. Jesus hopes all things. And Jesus endures all things. Isn't that true? Amen? But here's the disgust I feel. And if you know me, it, it, this is understandable. When I read these words, I think of, an, of, of myself who does not live them perfectly. I see myself in these words and I come up short. And so I can paraphrase this again. Sean is patient and kind. Sean does not envy or boast. Sean is not arrogant or rude. Sean, Sean does not insist on his own way. Does he? Where's my wife? Anyway, Sean... Sean is not irritable or resentful. John, Sean does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but Sean rejoices with truth. Sean bears all things. Sean believes all things. Sean hopes all things. Sean endures all things. But I would say that's false. That's my confession. I want to confess that because I want to do that, but it's not true all the time. But I want it. And these, these words are set, set the bar very high. That's because with God, the bar is impossibly high in our own ability. The requirement of God is his perfect holiness. That's the requirement of God. Matthew 5, 48 says, Yet therefore 
you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. But the only way we can attain that is through Jesus, by His Holy Spirit given to us. Now I can confess that, and this is our goal. I'm disgusted that I don't have that. I'm, I'm, listen, trust me, I am irritable sometimes. Yeah, that's my family, they'll tell you. Sean gets angry. Sean yells. And it's not just at the football game, it's at people. <laughs> Sean doesn't do everything right, I'm just being honest with you. But that's my confession, that's what I want, and that's the calling of Jesus. And God wants us to strive for this thing. It's the calling of every Christian to live the life of love. The first three verses of 1 Corinthians 13 lays out the consequences of a life that lacks love. It says, even if you speak in tongues but lack love, you offend others. You're a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Even if you have prophetic powers, understand all mysteries, and have knowledge with all faith, but you lack love, you are nothing. Even if you give away and give, give up your life as a martyr but have not love, you have gained nothing. Nothing, it says. In fact, when you give, that, that's why even Paul even talks about earlier, he says, he says, don't give, don't give, be a cheerful giver. Why is that important? Because it's better to give than receive. Why is that? You know, I found out when I give money to somebody, something different happens in me than it does in them. I've given money to people. I, I thought they, they're very grateful, they're very honoring and everything, and very thankful for that. But something more happens in me than it happens in them. I, I love them more. When I give to them, they actually don't love me more. That's not what that's not doesn't happen. And I don't know why that is, but I love them more when I give because where your treasure is, where your heart will be. Something happens when you're a giver. And if it's not done by love, it's done out of manipulation and control. Amen? Don't you ever give to this church unless you can do it through love. Don't give. Put your checkbook back in. By the way, you can give three ways, but don't give. <laughs> Giving the boxes in the back. Don't give unless you're doing it out of love. Because it will hurt you. It will hurt you. We're not here for your money. We're here for you. We love you. And we give to you. We give out of our lives and everything. I, I've laid down my life for this. We give to you. Because I love you. And it's not by manipulation, but that's what love does. Love doesn't do it by manipulation. Jesus didn't do it by manipulation. He gave his life so we could have life. And it's still our choice to choose that or not. You have a choice to choose God or not choose God. That's your choice. You can live your life wherever, how many years you're on this earth. You can live it the way you want to. But Jesus made a better way. Because he gave out his love for you and I. The believer, you and I, are called to live a life of love because we reveal God to this world. Like it or not, you are God's choice to reveal who he is to this world. And we give God more pleasure and more glory when we live like him and love like him.
John 13, verse 34 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples because of your love for one another. Ephesians 5, 1 says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. I mean, that's the example right there. We give up our life. That's love. Love is action. It's not I love you. It's action. I give up my life to you. That's what love is. 1 John chapter 3, verse 10, By this is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Love is the principal thing that the gospel dwells on when speaking of God and of Jesus. It's the principal thing. It's love. Love is the greatest commandment we have. That's why Jesus was asked in Matthew 22, verse 36, it says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. But there's a second, and, it, and it's like it. There's an order. The only way you can do the second commandment is that you love God with all your heart, that you are receiving, that you are this dwelling place of love. You are loving him. You are allowing him to love you. You are receiving that, and out of this flows the second commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Everything hangs on these two commandments. Love expresses the nature and the character of God, not his gifts. His gifts don't do that. Love does. Everything works by love. Faith works by love. The gifts should operate in love. And this was where the Corinthian church was missing it. They weren't operating in love. They were operating out of selfishness. They were operating out of pride. I have this and you don't. They were operating out of control. Right? I've seen people use the prophetic for control. I've seen people use things for control. And it's just love doesn't control. It doesn't seek itself, right? It seeks your benefit. Hmm. So I have a word for you. It can't, be, it can't come out of my emotions. Okay? It has to come out of the love of God. If it comes out of my emotions, it's limiting. It could be okay. It could be an okay word, but it, it limits. It has to come out of my love for God and my love for you. That's how, that's how these things work. That's how the gifts of the Spirit works, is I love you enough to pray and to seek the Lord and to give you a word. We won't let anybody up on this stage unless we know we, they love you. Not, they're not perfect, okay? We read that, right? When, when I put my name in there, Sean is this and this and this, you should put your name in and say this, this, and this and realize I mess up there, I mess up there. You know, you're, you're not perfect and none of us are. But this is what we're striving for. And you can understand that. Love expresses the nature and the character of God. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God 
in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. That's what he's called us to do. Love is first others-oriented, not first self-oriented. It's others-oriented. I prefer you over myself. That is the picture of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God isn't tongues, prophecy, and all these other things. The kingdom of God first is love. All these things come out of love. That's the picture Paul's telling us. Everything flows out of my love for God and my love for others. I can tell how, tell how much you have been with the Lord of how you treat other people. That was good. Right? Right? Listen. <laughs> this is my wife. Is she here? She stepped out. Okay. I want her to be in here. I want her to listen to me. Anyway. Um, <laughs> see self. Okay, call me out like my wife does. Anyway. So this is what my wife does. You need to go spend time with Jesus. You know what that means? I haven't been spending enough time with Jesus, and I'm act, not acting like Jesus. I don't like to hear that, but I know what she means. And I can feel it inside of me. I can feel it. I know she's right. I don't let her know that, but I know she's right. <laughs> Sean, you need to spend some time with Jesus. And that is so... Let's move on. <laughs> well, you came out, out here really quick. I love you. <laughs> Spending time with Jesus. Bye-bye. I love you. Spending time with Jesus does that. It's where I find love. Philippians chapter 2, verse 2 says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but the interest of others. You can't do that in your own love. You can only do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because sin, our nat- that nature that we're, we've been fighting, that we've given over, and wants us to be all about ourselves, right? I need to have me time. Now, there's, that is true. There is time that you do need to have alone time, and you need to have self-care, but that all comes under the authority of God, right? It's not just, just indulgence. Right? If you leave out of God out of self-care, then you are not caring for yourself. You're making your flesh stronger. That's good. You need to write that down because that's not even my note. <laughs> love, being with the Father, is something, something so powerful. And that's why Paul's talking about love a more excellent way. To know the ways of God and walk in those ways means that we see love and live love in its highest value. 
So I can only live love and see love because I'm seeing Jesus and living with Jesus. That's the only way. And so these verses say, when, without love, I offend others. Without love, I am nothing. And without love, I gain nothing. Spiritual gifts are no sure sign of God's blessing. Remember, the Corinthian church, this is a corrective letter. letter. They were hurting people. They were doing things wrong. And they were, lacked no spiritual gift. They had every spiritual gift. Right? Balaam. Saul, Judas, all experienced spiritual gifts. Both Balaam and Saul prophesied effectively. Judas went out and healed the sick. But he lacked love. Jesus said something in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name? That sounds like the gifts of the Spirit. And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Why is there workers of lawlessness? Because they had no love for God. Jesus says, I never knew you. That means I was never in your presence. I was never in that place of knowing who you are. Right? That's why you got people all around this, this world that, that call themselves believers, that are preachers, or pastors, or teachers, evangelists, pastors, prophets, whatever, and they don't know Jesus. And they're manipulating people and hurting people. God has not called us to be a church that way. God has called us to love God. Bow our knees to Him. And receive everything from Him. Amen? I am nothing without the presence of God. I am nothing without the love of God. I am nothing without those things. But I can move mountains not because I just have faith, because faith works by love. I can move mountains in my life because I know God loves me. And I have nothing to fear. We can see miracles because God loves us, right? Spiritual gifts exist, and they are valuable. Don't get me wrong. We need spiritual gifts operating in our body Every day of this, of, of, of every day, every moment, we need spiritual gifts, but they have to operate by love. Love is the most excellent way. The context of this whole chapter is church life. The way we treat other believers matters, especially when they differ from us. Churches and believers are often torn apart by secondary matters because they didn't love one another. I'm going to be honest with you. None of us are going to be completely in total agreement. Because we hear in part and we prophesy in part, right? We don't, I don't, listen, don't tell my wife this. I don't know it all. <laughs> Thank you. Is that you, Pastor Allen? <laughs> she know, he knows my wife. Yeah, she knows. I don't know it all. And we are all in this together. 
right? And I don't get mad at you that you don't agree with me. Most of the time you're wrong, but I don't get mad at that. But what love does, and that's what we need to learn. This is the context of the church life, is that we are to love one another. D.A. Carson, in his book, uh, Showing the Spirit, says this, I tell you that if love does not characterize your life, there is no evidence of even the first work of the Spirit as salvation. We know love is supreme, and we should look where we should find supernatural love. Now, here, here's a sign, some signs. Here's three signs of superficial love. We limit God, and we limit things around us. We limit. So something is withheld. Usually it's our time and our resources. The sign of superficial love is that we limit. I limit my time and I limit my resources to other people. Because what usually why we limit time and resources, we want it. Okay? So we limit. The second thing you can understand if you have superficial love is that we want control. We seek to manipulate. It's selfish. And then number three, you can tell you have superficial love is because you're limiting, you're controlling but now you detach. We remain self-sufficient, unimpaired, unaffected, and distant. Listen, I want to tell you something. We need each other. If you're out there, or if you're in here, you just came for some reason, and you think you don't need the body, you are completely wrong. We need each other. We need to meet together in our homes, in our services, in the coffee shops, in wherever. We need to meet. We need each other. So selfish love, superficial love, is they limit, they control, and they detach. You can't do that. That's a, that's a ploy of the enemy to get you away from what God wants to do in your life. Love that seeks the interests of God and fellow believers looks completely dif different. We are limitless in our self-giving. We find that we value the very things that God values. God did not hold back his Holy Spirit and his Son from us. Why should we hold back? We should be limitless in our giving. We should be limitless in our time. We should be limitless in our love. And then we take risks with no guarantee of success. Isn't that what Jesus did? He didn't take a poll and see who would love him after he died for them. He had no assurance. He just died on the cross and rose again. We take risks. And you may have been disappointed as you reach out to people. You may be disappointed. Guess what? We, we, we give to people. We give people, we help you with your finances. If you're a member here, you don't, have to, you don't have to worry. If you get laid off in your job, you don't have to worry about your house. We will help you. We will, we will pay your electricity bill. You don't have to worry about that. We're going to do all that we can to, to help you. But we've done that many times, and people have left the church right after that. It's disappointing, and it's hurtful. 
But guess what we continue to do? Give. Because that's the right thing to do. And we love those people who've left. We don't put it, we don't put it on them. We, we love them. And you may have given out and given out and given out. You've taken risk and folks let you down. But what does love does? Keeps on reaching out. It is unstoppable. That's what love does. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't stop reaching out to you with all the no's that you gave him? He kept on knocking at your door. And he's knocking at your door today. Because he's not mad at you. He's not, you might have cursed him, might still curse him, but he's not mad at you. He is still knocking at the door of your heart saying, come on, I'm here, let me in. I've got a better way, right? He takes risks. And people who love are vulnerable. The question we have to ask ourselves today, do we interact with, whoever we interact with, do they experience love from us? Do they experience love on us? Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, Paul says this, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against other, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. You put on love. Love for God and love for others. And the only way we can do that is by spending time with Him. And to realize the only way we can possess this true love from the Lord is realize that we didn't deserve His love. But He gave it anyway. We see the beauty of who Jesus is. I mean, that's what happens when you spend time with him. And you spend time in his presence. He pours out love to you. I've see, I say this all the time in worship. Worship is meant for God and God alone. Really, be honest with you. If you look through worship, it's, it's all about his. The focus should be him. Just like when we say, worthy, 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 holy, holy, holy. That's all about God. Right? It's all about Him. But how many of you receive something in worship? I do. Why is that? Because that's love and action. It can't help but give. God is love. He can't help it. It's just who He is. It flows out of Him. It just goes into, out of Him. I mean, you can be mad at Him. You can curse Him. Guess what's going to come out of Him? Love. It's love. I mean, when people curse you and, and people you know, get mad at you, what comes out of us? Cursing and madness usually. We, but that's not how we're supposed to be. What should come out of us? Love. Love. The God kind of love. And when we come into his presence and we worship him at home, And you come into that love, there's no way you can stand. We talk about anointing, the heaviness. 
You know what that heaviness is? Something that you don't feel on this earth from anybody else is the love of God. It's His glory. It's His manifest presence. God is love. It's who He is. That's why we, we want our worship services to, for people to feel that when they come in and they're worshiping. People are worshiping. I want people who've never stepped inside of a church just to feel that love because of that worship because that's what we're going after. Right? God, I'm giving all that I have and it's nothing compared to what you desire from us, but this is all I have right now and he floods his love on me. So when, when, when Lisa says, Sean, you need to go be with Jesus, I know I'm making mistakes. I know I'm making doing things wrong and so when she's not looking I go upstairs to my room and I just come into his presence songs come out I just put on worship music and I just start lifting my hands there's no way I can stand in that presence not because I, I feel convicted there is conviction not because I feel definitely I don't feel condemned but I feel wanted in his presence but I I feel this love that I don't deserve but he's given it to me anyway he wants you to feel that love because that's the only way you'll be able to obey the second commandment love others I want the worship team to come on up here Thank you for joining us here online to listen to one of our messages here at Cornerstone. We pray that this message ministered to you in a powerful way. If you would like to hear more of our messages, go to cornerstonelife.org and click on the message tab that's at the top. We pray that you have a great day and a great week. And if you need anything, we are here.